pop quiz for everybody. I've repeated them every single week for the last six weeks. What are the six fundamental truths, according to Hebrews 6, that we have been covering up until this week? Number one, just yell it out. Oh, now everyone's shy. That's too bad. Okay, I'll give you the first one because, the, you know, that was a long time ago. Repenting of evil deeds was number one, okay? So that, you know, that was like eight weeks ago. It's hard to remember. Number two, everyone's frantically trying to get to Hebrew 6 so they can find what the answers are. Putting our faith in God was number two. Number three, baptism. There we go. I heard Clay mumble it and Tracy... Yeah, it was, it was good. Baptism, number three. Number four, laying on of hands. The good visual there. Number five, last week we talked about, come on, this is just last week, guys. <laughs> Resurrection, which brings us to the super exciting finale of Eternal Judgment. Yay! Who's excited? Get to talk about judgment. All right. And I want to just, I, I want to reassure everyone who online and in-house, this is not going to be a hellfire and brimstone kind of message. It definitely could have led that way. As I was preparing and as I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, um, how are we going to do this? We're not going there. Um, but it's interesting that the author of Hebrews, and he, what he has done is he has paired these two things intentionally, resurrection and judgment. And what he's saying to the, to the Hebrews is that there's two options. There's two options. There's no in-between ground. There's no, like, halfway point. Option A is you are, put your faith in Christ, you are forgiven of your sins, and you get to experience resurrection and eternity in heaven. Option A Option B is eternal judgment. And there's no halfway ground. There's no middle ground here. It's one or the other. And so he's, this is really fundamental. And he's talking to Jewish believers. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament has to say about this and how the Jewish people would have heard this phrase, eternal judgment. And we're going to dive into how the New Testament handles it. And it's going to be... Anyways... It's going to be fun. Um, so first and foremost, by way of introduction of the Old Testament, when we get into it, it doesn't talk about it a whole lot in the early parts. So first five books, the Pentateuch, um, the history writings, so Kings and Samuel, don't really dive into it. But then we get into the Psalms, and we get into the prophets. And all of a sudden the prophets start talking about, they don't talk about judgment. They don't talk about Judgment Day, you know, good Terminator movie. They... What do they talk about is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And that sounds some, and as New, New Testament believers, we hear that and we're like, oh, that sounds really good. That sounds like, some, sounds like something we should be excited about. But I want you to see how the prophets describe the day of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. For the Lord's heavens, Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and mighty and bring down everything that is exalted. Oh. Only the Lord will be exalted on this day. Okay. 
Joel continues on. He says, I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, was that like a translation typo? A terrible, great and terrible day of the Lord. What? That doesn't seem right. Amos chapter 5 says this, What sorrow awaits you who say, If only the day of the Lord were here, you have no idea what you are wishing for. That day will bring darkness, not light. In that day you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a wall in his house and he's bitten by a snake. It's a bad day. Yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless without a ray of joy or hope. Wow! Okay, I'm significantly less excited about the day of the Lord. The prophets talk about this day as being dark and dismal and something to be afraid of. Amos takes it to the point where he's like, don't look forward to the day of the Lord. It's going to be like running from a lion and running into a bear and then getting away from the bear and getting bitten by a snake. When they talk about being bitten by a snake, they're all poisonous, by the way. So that was like, neither one of those scenarios is good. Don't wanna, if I have to pick between the bear, the lion, and the snake, I want option D, neither. Death by natural causes, because that's the only... And when the prophets talk about this, they're talking about... They, they're saying this as a way of encouragement for the Israelites, but not really. It's still a way of warning for the Israelites. Because what they're talking about is there's this day that's coming, and God's chosen people, the Israelites, are going to be redeemed. They're going to be rejuvenated. They're going to be reconciled to their God, and they're going to escape all this. And all the nations that aren't Israel, that stood against them and stood against their God and, and worshipped idols and didn't worship... They're the ones who's gonna, this is going to be a dark and terrible day for. But even the prophet said, but not even all of Israel is going to escape. There's only a remnant that's going to escape because there's some in Israel who've turned away, who have set up idols in their heart and have wandered from the truth of God. So not even all of Israel was guaranteed to escape this. It was a warning. This day is coming. Judgment is coming. It's like, okay, but that's Old Testament. Surely when the New Testament picks up this idea of the day of judgment, it gets like a lot more like lighthearted, right? Like the, they're going to talk about how, you know, if you're a believer, you're going to be exempt from it, and it's all going to be good, right? Well, here's what Paul says. Oops, sorry. Before we get out of the Old Testament, we're going to go back to Daniel. Because Daniel gives us this really this very distinct picture of this day. And it's, I want you to hold on to some of these pictures that he paints for us. I watched as thrones were put in place, and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow. Okay, that should spark for us as New Testament believers. White as snow. His hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And a river of fire is pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. That is a key image moving forward. The books 
were opened. Uh, further down, as Daniel sums up the vision, it says, this is the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts, and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. So Daniel has this great vision of this judgment day, and he says the ancient one comes, and he sits on his throne, and these books are opened. And it goes on, he describes these beasts and the falling of nations, and he says by the time the vision was over, he was so scared, he was pale. He's terrified of what he had saw. So now we get to the New Testament. Surely, like I said earlier, surely the New Testament's a little bit lighter, right? Here's what Paul says. Romans 14, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. No one escapes. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance of praise to me. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Oh. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. There's that idea again. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Um, this day of the Lord is feeling way, way less, more, way less, more, um, way less appealing. And Scripture is really hard about it. He's like, this is not something to look forward to. And it's funny because um, I've heard people say, I just, I just can't wait. I just can't wait till Jesus comes back and it's all going to get better. And we always forget about this part. There's a judgment seat. And everyone, without exception, is going to stand before the ancient one. And who is the ancient one? Well, Jesus clarifies this john chapter 5 in addition the father judges no one instead he has given who the son absolute authority to judge and he has given him authority to judge everyone all inclusive no one escapes he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man we're not going to stand before anyone we're not going to stand before we're going to stand before Jesus himself. And I want you to grab that picture. We're going to stand before the man who gave his life so you and I could live sinless and free of sin, free from the bondage, free from the slavery of sin. We have to stand before him and give an account. And Jesus says, we're not just going to give an account of our actions, you're going to give an account of our careless words. Oh boy. I don't want anybody else, but my tongue gets flapping a little bit, and things slip out, and I'm like, ooh, ooh. And I have to give an account for that. Every action, good or bad, we will give an account before the one who died to save us from those careless actions, who died to save us from our rebellion. Oh. I'm not sure I'm looking forward to that day so much. don't know if I'm mm, 
And what's that day going to be like? What, what, what's going to happen? Who, you know, is there, is there hope for those of us that are saved? Is there, like, what, what is, is there like a split? Like, what's going to happen on this day? And the Apostle John gives us this picture from Revelation. He says this in verse, starting at chapter 20, starting in verse 11. I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. Should that think of Daniel all of a sudden. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. So John has a little bit more of a vision, and, and the way that the scripture works is it builds off each other. So Daniel gave us this picture. John is seeing the same thing, which confirms the vision, but he sees a little bit more. So not only are all these books being opened, but the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown in the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found, recorded in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So on Judgment Day, this book is going to be, and I don't know about anybody else, I, maybe I have a more vivid picture than most. Um, when we were Medicine Hat, we put on this thing, there's a ministry called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Anyone ever heard of this thing? Okay, there's a few people have. Have we ever done it here? We did. Okay, Cool. I missed, did this I, we know what I'm talking about when I talk about that? No? Okay, that's fine. Um, it's this drama, and it's quite a, <laughs> quite a vivid drama, quite, quite uh, intense. Maybe that's a better word. Over the course of this drama, people are living their life, and some are making mistakes, and some are making good decisions, and, 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 and at some point, every scenario ends with them dying. And they stand before God, and they open the book of life. I'm pretending this is the book of life. And what gets really intense is when God says, you're not found, there's someone playing the devil and the demons, and they come out of the like red spot of the stage that represents hell, and they come out and they drag them away. And the actors are told to scream and cry out and do everything they need to do because of everything this represents. And on the flip side, there's some that do make good decisions. They stand before God and their name is found in the book of life and, and it erupts in nice music and they, they enter into eternity. And we did this for three days. The idea was as a church, we we're supposed to invite our friends who didn't know Jesus and come and then experience this drama and at the end we gave people an opportunity to give their life to christ and wouldn't you know it the altars were full it's amazing and, and some people were like oh you know it's a little intense i don't know if that's actually what's going to be uh according to romans 20 or revelation 20 that's pretty close and imagine put yourself in that story Everyone, the dead and the living, 
standing before Jesus on the judgment seat, holding the book of life, waiting to find out if your name is written in it. It's no wonder Paul talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's no wonder there's this this dynamic that we can have the assurance that we're good we can have assurance that god has forgiven us and healed us and made us right but there's always this dynamic of but you still approach god reverently you still live a life that honors the sacrifice that god has made because we want to get to the end and find our name in the book because it's all that matters. It doesn't matter what people thought of us. It doesn't matter how this life went. It doesn't matter all the struggle. It doesn't matter the good times. Nothing in this life matters. All that matters is that your name is found in these pages. Ooh. Because there is no halfway point. Your options are name and book, into eternity you go. Name not in book into the lake of fire for all eternity. Those are the options. And the reason that the author of Hebrews says this is fundamental, we need to understand this truth, is it should stir us. It should change the way we live. There's two things the truth of eternal judgment should do to us. Number one, it should inspire us to live lives worthy of the calling, as Paul talks about. To live lives worthy of God, worthy of the sacrifice Jesus made. Why? Because I, don't, I want to stand before God and all the mistakes I made, I want that list to be short. I want to stand before God, I want to stand before Jesus with my head held high and be like, Jesus, I did my best. I didn't slack, I didn't, let things slide. I worked out my salvation. I just <laughs> forgive me for the things that I made a mistake of. Please tell me my name is in that book. Please tell me I lived my life in a way that honored you and honored the commitment I made to you. Please. I don't want anybody else. I'm going to be nervous waiting my turn. Oh, we're in the R's now. Oh, we got the R-E. Oh, boy, here we go. Oh, we got to the redstones, but I'm M. I got a ways to wait. Should stir us. Should make us, should give a little bit of timidity. The other thing it should do is it stir us for our neighbors and for our families and for our friends should stir us. Because if they're not here, if they're not following after Jesus, if they're not committed, if they're not at church somewhere, they're not tuning in, if they haven't made that commitment, their name's not in the book, and that should bother us. And it's not like we have a whole lot of time. Michelle came home from camp, and she talked about how one of the speakers said, we're, we're in not the final days, we're in like the final minutes. Jesus is coming back any day now. It is imminent. The day of the Lord is coming. We go any moment now. 
We should have an urgency. We should have a desperation. We, should, we shouldn't be lackluster in the way we share, in the way we live, in the way we love. And that is love. To tell them the truth. To shine light on the things that are going to keep them out of this book. It should stir us. It should bother us. It should steal sleep from us. That's how much this truth, this reality, this fundamental doctrine should bother us. We should lose nights of sleep being like, did I do enough? Did I miss an opportunity? Should, honestly, you're like, oh, Matt, you're being dramatic. Am I? Because I want my kids in the name and the book. I want my parents in the book. I want my family. I want my neighbors. I want everyone named to be written in the book. And I want to get step for Jesus and be like, I tried. I did my best. I did everything I could. This idea, because I hit break it to you. Unlike our, our court system, there's no appeal process. Once, pa- once judgment is passed, it's passed. No turning back. There's no second chances. Because you've had a lifetime of second chances. You've had a lifetime to hear the truth, to make that decision, to find... And everyone... And <clears throat> I'm going to close with this. I've gone over time. I got excited. I'm sorry. Um... People are like, we don't like talking about hell. It's a scare tactic. We don't want to scare people into eternity. Um, I'd like to point out, I don't know if you've never heard my story, but that's why I'm here. Never heard my story. This is, how my, this, is, this is how my testimony goes. I grew up in church. I thought I knew my stuff, and I could fool everybody until that one fateful day, that God-ordained day when I'm sitting in a youth group from another church and they talk about hell and judgment and I'd never heard it before. My church had never talked about it. We never talked about it in Sunday school. This is all new information and by the end of the talk, I decided that didn't seem like where I wanted to end up. Hell did not seem like a desired destination. So I did what any sane person would do. Jesus, save me. Jesus, take away my sin because I, I'm done with the facade. I'm done pretending. I'm done because you know my heart. And I want to know that my name is written in the book. I got to know. The amazing part is, is that if the scare tactics don't work, it's funny, most of the people who gave their lives to the Lord at heaven's gates and hell's flames are still following the Lord today. If the scare tactic doesn't work, then why is that the case? Because you maybe got scared into making the decision, but all of a sudden you make the decision and you discover how good Jesus is. You discover his love and his forgiveness and his grace and his strength to carry you through the days. You discover that we serve a good God. We discover that even if we make mistakes, even if our life doesn't go quite according to plan, but as long as we, Jesus is Lord and Savior and we keep him there, that when we get to Judgment Day, Paul talks about how there's going to be some who get into eternity, but they smell like smoke. It was close. 
but they got in. There's some who are going to get to eternity and they're going to have, you know, Revelation talks about mansions and treasures and storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and there's good things awaiting. And there's some who are going to get in as the gate closes. But you're in. And that's the best part. That's the good news, is that if we declare Jesus and we live for him our entire life, it's not just a prayer, get the gold star, we're good. No, it's a lifetime commitment. It's a lifetime of putting the old self to death. It's a lifetime of watching our words and praying and relying on his strength and daily decision to take up our cross and follow him we close with eternal judgment because it's the most important one if you need inspiration on why you need to live a life that honors christ why we need to put away our sinful desires and the things that are contrary to god's law and god's way and and embrace the new and good things this is it and we don't need to shy away from it. We need to embrace it. We need to let it stir us. I hope you're stirred. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I, I <laughs> mixed emotions. In some ways, I look forward to the day of the Lord. I look forward, Jesus, to the day that you return and we're reunited with you and we get to experience eternity and the end of everything that is wrong in this world. But I say that with timidity because there's a, also that aspect where I have to stand before you and give an account of my life. So God, I ask, we ask that you give us the strength and the wisdom and the know-how to live a life that is honoring to you above all else. God, I pray for everyone in, in, our, in the service, whether you're in-house or online, God, and you're, you're wondering if your name's written in the book, I pray that you do not waste this moment, that you get real with God. If you need to recommit, if you need to commit for the first time, don't miss this opportunity because you might not get another one. Just being honest. Jesus, stir us. May the judgment seat stir us to be bold, to go out in our community, to take the one truth that matters above all else, that you are the author of life, you are the Savior, you are the one who redeems, and you are the one who's going to set us free. You and you alone. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through you, Jesus. Stir in us, God. Speak to us. Meet us where we're at. Pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.